here's our cold open. Okay. I know New York is like, I guess, quintessential Americana. Mm -hmm. But they started the episode with the Statue of Liberty and then like an American flag. And like later, every subway we see like has the American flag on it. Like I get it. Like this is a terrorist episode. But also, why? Give it up. Give it up. <laughs> give it like, up. <laughs> I, I know this was 2008, but like, give it up. <laughs> Do they Maybe? ever mention the 2008 recession? <laughs> no, they're shoving all of this Americana in our face to make us forget about the recession. I just like, there is a big bubble that has either bursted or is about, about to burst. About to burst. <laughs> And I don't think they ever <laughs> talk about it. I don't it. think they ever talk about it. I mean, like, they do sort of vaguely mention it some episodes. They're like, yeah, he lost his house in the recession, and that's what caused him to, like, spiral or whatever. But, like, they sure as hell don't mention it in this very 2008 episode. But, like, Derek has six properties. <laughs> Derek is so aware of the recession. Derek is like, no, yeah, I am the bubble. Like, <laughs> he what? is Bubble Boy. I just, I had that, like, I was like, there is so much American nonsense in this. But, like, there's also not, right? Like, the symbolism it's, is there, but, like, But, like, no they one, don't say it. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Which is interesting, because do they say it a lot next episode? I mean, I know there are references to 9-11. I feel like there have to be, right? Well, they're in New York. It's a terrorist episode. Of course right? there are references to 9-11. So I feel like in Mayhem, they must talk about 9-11. So maybe that's why it's like, hey, yeah, we set this bomb episode in New York. But like also, but like in an American way. America will triumph. Because <laughs> it's like really like just the terrorist plot is like, it's like the last few seconds. To kill like one guy, right? In the next episode, the whole thing is like, it's to kill like oh. one guy, right? Yeah, there's somebody in a hospital. We like never find out who it is. Like the BAU does never finds out who it is or anything. I think it's meant to be implied that it's like the president or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure, for sure. It's just, I do think it's funny that they made a terrorist episode and then they were like, we're not going to talk about what... Like, we're not going to talk about America. The terrorists are going to be going after this one specific dude. You know what I mean? It's also interesting that it's like a home-brewed terrorist attack, which if we want to talk about another big terrorism episode, Lessons Learned, right? That mm -hmm. was also a home-brewed faction, but they were home-brewed and turned or converted to Muslim, to Islam. So, like, we got to, quote unquote, got to, like, disconnect ourselves from the, like, but they're, like, Americans. Yeah. Right? They were, like, you know, quote, unquote, turned against America by extremist Islamics, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whereas this is, like, just a bunch of American people wanting to kill. Also, like, how did they know? It was gonna be How they were do doing this. They, know? they were doing this for like two or three weeks, right? The killing when the killings start, it's been two weeks. So by the end of this, it's been nearly three weeks. They've been testing how to shut down the island of Manhattan because, like, <laughs> it, for one night, the guy's gonna be in the hospital. Like, 
What? And then they also got like the world's best bomb maker to make them a bomb so they could kill the president. It's like. Well, yeah, (laughs) I. It's it's, we're going to have some. I think here's the thing. I think this is a very strong episode on its own. I think we might have some issues once we get to mayhem just because. What is going on? You know what I mean? Like, here's the thing. The the premise, the spark, the like, if you look too closely, this is a lot of work for kind of nothing, right? But as far as like episodes go of Criminal Minds, they're good really at. good. Yeah. Good yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. You know what does hold up under inspection? Our theme song. Our theme song. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Welcome to Wheels Up. It's a Criminal Minds podcast. We're here to give you the last episode of season three. I'm James. And I'm B. And this week, we are watching season three, episode 20, Lo-Fi. 20 is a short season for Criminal Minds. Remember, mm-hmm. uh, this season was made right before the 2008 writer's strike. So this episode aired mm-hmm. on like May 21st, 2008, much earlier than their season would end. Uh, so this episode also written by Chris Mundy and directed by Glenn Kershaw. Glenn Kershaw, this man is a prolific director in Criminal Minds. I was just going like, to say, we like him, don't we? We like him a lot. Because guess what two season two episodes he made? Profiler, Profile Ugh. and Legacy. Ugh. In season three, he did the Angel Maker. Like okay. in season five, he did the Internet is Forever. Mm-hmm. He did. Oh, what was the good one? In season eight, he did the premiere, the mid season, and the finale of season eight. He wow. did the Silencer, Magnum Opus, and then the Replicator in season eight. <laughs> oh my god! Like this guy, this guy does a lot of the season premieres and finales. Actually, mm-hmm. like genuinely, a lot of them. Like seven, eight, and nine. He does this, and 10, he does the season premiere, the mid-season, and the finales. Chris Mundy has also done things we liked. I remember that name. You should. Let me pull up what his, what he does. Both of them eventually worked as uh, producers on the show, so they have a lot of credits. They're just, they're very okay. prolific. Um, Chris Mundy is the guy who wrote Revelations. He also wrote Penelope right. in Name and Blood. He also mm-hmm. wrote, I think, one of your mm-hmm. favorite episodes of Criminal Minds, Total, Demonology. Hell yeah, Chris Mundy. Yeah, so like these are our guys, actually. These are kind of our dudes. I like that he did Revelations and Demonology, two very um, God and the Devil are real episodes. <laughs> this guy has so much Catholic trauma, he is working through it, okay? <laughs> As he should. On Criminal Minds. All right. Do we have any pre-thoughts? I like this episode a lot. I do think it is kind of interesting to watch it and not immediately go into mayhem. Because, like, I 
have only watched mm-hmm. Criminal Minds on streaming where the lines between seasons are so blurry and they're only noticeable because Spencer yeah. changes his hair drastically. Like, that's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, it is interesting yeah, to absolutely. watch this and then we're going to have to wait a while until we see Mayhem. It'll be like a month or two until we watch Mayhem. It'll be just I like know. God and the Writer's Strike intended us to watch. You know? Like... <laughs> It is so funny to me when they very obviously have filmed the season finale and the first episode like as one. Yeah. Because then it's always like season two is like everything is different. Like I know that in episode two of season four, that's when Reed gets his haircut. JJ is suddenly visibly pregnant. Like all of this stuff has happened and it's like episode to episode, boom, they're all different. (laughs) It is really funny though. Okay. So like we've mentioned, we start off this episode, Statue of Liberty, American flag. It's New York, guys. We're in New York Look now. at this dude calling a yellow taxi. Wow, Madison Avenue, the subway. Great. We see, I felt, okay, I felt really bad. I felt really bad for this guy. We see this, like, you know, quote unquote, creepy looking guy, like, waiting to cross the street. And he's, like, glancing at the cops and he goes into the subway, he's got his hand in his pocket. And, like, everyone is looking at him all suspiciously. Like, there's a woman who sees him and, like, pulls her daughter close. And, like, another woman is holding one of the poles and, like, moves away. And everyone is being really, like, suspicious of him. And I felt bad because, like, at the end, he's just, like, a tourist. He's literally, like, just some <laughs> right? guy. Looking at the map. Yeah. But then I also was kind of, like, I know we're trying to set him up as being suspicious. But this is also just, like, what being a woman in public is. Like, if I looked up and I saw a man staring at me and my, like, 10-year-old daughter... Yeah, I'd immediately pull her closer to me. Yeah, no, exactly. Sometimes you see an interaction play out on screen and you're like, oh, a man wrote this. And he does not realize that this is sort of a normal thing. Right, like if it had been a girl, she would have looked around and all these guys would have just been like (laughs) staring at her on the subway. (laughs) Hands in their pockets all creepy. But it's a guy being like, you know, not every guy is actually a creep. And then he just, like, gets shot in the back of the head. He steps out onto the subway platform, is trying to ask for somebody to, like, show him directions. And then everybody just, like, runs away. And then he gets fucking shot in the back. Truly, bad day for this guy. Yeah, the man just gets shot and the guy walks away, like, really calmly. Yeah. It's, like, a very, like, it feels so nonchalant, you know? Yeah. Also, like, I, I know I'm not from New York, but the fact that it's, like, a totally empty subway... Feels weird to me. Yes, yes and no. I mean, like, not every single place in a massive transit network is always going to have somebody in it. But, like, I also agree, though, it seems like a pretty busy station. And they, like, make a point later. They're, like, targeting the main ingress and egress points, so they should all be really busy stations. Right. But also, like, it's a pretty small station, too. Well, I think also that a train just left. Yeah. Nobody's filing in So everyone yet. who was there waiting would have just gotten on. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we cut to Hotch in the precinct at night. We see a picture of Jack on his desk. Cute. Hotch gets a phone call and he's like, no, it's just leaving, but like, it's show us up. And the person on the other end is like, clearly agitated because Hotch is like, what's going on? What? Yes, we're all familiar with the case. Like, is there an update? What's going on? Great. Cuts to JJ in the office. 
It is the middle of the night, and JJ is just like on the phone being like, let me know when you get on your airplane. <laughs> like, go home, JJ. Literally, go home, girl. Maybe it's just really dark. No, because he said I'm just about to leave. Yeah, uh, whatever. So, Willow's coming to DC so they can like pick out a crib together, and she's like, I'm going to pick you up so you don't have a chance to buy one without me. Because <laughs> like, Will, throughout this episode, is very clearly like, I'm going to choose what crib our baby has. Which is adorable. But then Hodge comes in. Okay. JJ mutes her phone. She's like talking to Will and then she mutes it. So Hodge like doesn't know she's on the phone with Will. And is like, what's going on? Like nothing has crossed my desk. And Hodge is like, something came to me directly. He leaves and she like unmutes it and is like, hey, don't go to the airport just yet. (laughs) Something came up. So. The team walks into the briefing room and Hatch is like, don't get comfortable. We're like actually debriefing on the plane. They all come in wearing like their regular business outfits, though. They're all still there. Sometimes when they call in the team. Yeah, like sometimes when they call in the team, you can tell like they very clearly come from like something else. Derek comes in fully in, like, one of his clean purple dress shirts. Yeah, and Emily's, like, wearing a suit. I, so I'm like, come I on. think they were either all about to leave or they had, like, just made it to the burger place, you know? <laughs> yeah, they were, like, almost yeah. home. So they come in and Hodge is like, don't get comfortable. And we find out that it's been, there have been five shootings in two weeks. Garcia's coming with us to look at their surveillance. All of the killings were done midday with a twenty-two gun pistol. Reed lists the decibels of the gunshots and like the New York street has more decibels than this gun and they were underground. So it's like entirely possible that just like no one even heard it. Which is fair because the subway system is fucking loud. It's like loud as fuck. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, we don't know this yet, but we know this later. They weren't doing it really to draw attention. They were doing it to test response time, which I think is interesting. Which, when you figure out what their plan is, doesn't really make sense, but like, okay. No. Do what you do. It's also like, I know they say it's like an easy way to simulate a bombing, but like, they, is it they really? say later that the feeds are not, like no one's live monitoring these feeds. They're not for stopping crime, they're for, you know, prosecuting later. So no one's going to see the guy until the next subway comes. Yeah, and like that's very different than a fucking explosion going off and seeing like hundreds of people calling 911. Yeah, and the only thing I can think of is we know from Person of Interest that New York has one of those systems that like when a gunshot goes off. I was going to (laughs) mention the shot seeker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to earlier and i'm like i don't know if i have a good enough reason to bring this up just yet thank you for having a good enough reason to bring this up so the new york has like a system and maybe other cities do too i don't know about new york as person of interest but when a gunshot goes off there's a system that like triangulates its location and automatically alerts law enforcement which would make sense except one they're in the subway, not street level, and two, they're using a gun that is quieter than the street level noise. So it wouldn't set that off anyway. So like this this killing in a subway is nothing, I think, for like a simulation of a yeah. bomb. 
Like the street level ones I can get because it's like right on the street. A mm-hmm. lot of people see it happen. Yeah. Etc. Etc. Yeah. The subway ones? Come on. Be so serious. And one of the reasons I bring up like the shot seeker thing is there's a difference between a shot going off, um, a machine identifying it as a gunshot and sending it to law enforcement and a whole ass car explosion that is going to set off all of the car longs in the area. And it's already outside of an FBI field office. Like that response time is not the same as like a mugging in a random alley. Like it's, it's not the same. Yeah. And yeah, their test is not this. Like it should have been a series of small explosions to see, like exactly what level of like what locations, what level of explosion it has to be to get a bigger response. You know, like somebody finding a gun, a bomb in a backpack on the subway is like level one. How long does that take? Yeah, and then level two is like a a. Got a car in a lot under a bridge somewhere, right? You, like, escalate it to closer and closer and bigger and bigger. But just, like, these gunshots mean nothing. And, like, the final one, they shoot them, like, two blocks from Emily and this dude. Like, obviously, that response time is going to be different. And also, like, if the BAU hadn't come, what was their plan to get into that hospital? I have a lot of questions. It's just, it's truly so fucking wild. Like, again, this is one of those episodes that's like, it's a good episode, but don't look too close at the actual plot because it's a little bit of a mess. Actually, I just thought of something. What if the subway mm-hmm. shootings were... Were there to draw the BAU to in? There to draw the BAU in because the BAU is like high enough priority and specialized enough that they could get away with going to this special hospital. And maybe that's why when they do the first killing after the BAU is there, they drop the card. They're like, thank you for arriving. I don't think the episode <laughs> talks about that. Thank you for us with the next phase of our plan. Absolutely. You know, so maybe like that was it. Maybe they were just trying to like simulate a serial killer and get the panic of, you know, a son of Sam so that when the bomb went off, everyone's already kind of alert. We'll have to see what Mayhem see says. <laughs> we'll have to. Yeah, I don't know what Mayhem's going to say about it. Yeah. But. that would I guess that's my running theory. Is, and then the different killers, they're correct that that was like to test loyalty. And so if one of them gets caught, it seems like a one-off. And it doesn't ruin the whole operation. So, okay, back to the briefing room. The guns, the witnesses, it's not very loud, etc. Someone brings up that it sounds like these are mob hits, but no one has ties to the mob or there's no tie to each other, you know. And so it also nobody's like taken responsibility for it. Like none of the mob hit things are there. Yeah, it like doesn't seem like a mob hit. It actually seems really random and super bold. And at this point, they still think it's like one killer. They're like, this guy is like super bold to just go around shooting random people in the middle of the day. And they say, oh gosh, it's the son of Sam all over again. So here's a brief little bit about the son of Sam. David Brokowitz. Okay, thank you. I'm glad you were going to do it because I was like, I can go off memory here, but I don't remember a lot. No, don't worry about it. 
So the son of Sam, his real name is David Berkowitz, and he's called that because his like court defense was that his neighbor's dog, who was named Sam, was possessed by the devil, and the dog was giving him orders to kill. So that's why he's called the son of Sam, and he wrote that in all of his letters, yada, yada, yada. He used a forty-four to kill six people and wound seven people in 1997. So a big 13-people shot turtle. He was sentenced to six life sentences, and after that he admitted that, yeah, it was all a hoax, there was no devil talking to me. But then in the 90s, he was like, actually, I was a member of a satanic cult, and this was ritual murder. And there's actually a documentary that's like, fine, I wouldn't, you know, take it too seriously. But it's interesting, called Sons of Sam. I did watch that one. Yeah, it's pretty good. They basically just like point out all the ways that it could have been more than one person and it could have been satanic. Yeah, it was one of those documentaries where it was like, you're very clearly not telling me all of the facts. You are telling me a story, but I like Mm -hmm. stories. So let's go. Exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're like, yeah, okay. Okay, I get how you could get there. Sure, why not? Yeah. I'll, I'll live in this fiction with you. Absolutely. But um, Wikipedia says no one actually buys it. So, the point of bringing up Son of Sam is that these killings are about public fear. It could be anyone around us. There's no idea, like, how many people are involved in it, who the targets are, etc., etc. It's the opening. Great. Garcia's on the airplane. And she's like, I only get to do this once every two years. I love it. It gets old, like a spa day gets old. And Emily's like, remember that one time we got on the plane and they hadn't chilled the crystal yet? And Derek is like, yeah, I almost quit the BAU because of that. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I do. I also love how they actually do, they actually are like pointing out how often she goes on trips with the BAU. It is pretty much every two years. Like it's very regular, yeah. actually. Yeah. It's every other season. She gets one. It'll pick up eventually. I think it picks up in season five because of something I won't spoil. But so far it's been like once every other season and she gets to go on the plane. Yeah. yeah, and Garcia is just really excited to be there. She's just walking around like, this is so cool. And I think it's interesting. She has knitting with her. Mm-hmm. She brought like a ball of yarn yep. and some knitting needles. She's, She's so, ready. so cute. I know, it's adorable. And I mean, it's a whole, what, 45 minute plane ride? <laughs> you gotta do something. Oh man, can't be bored for that. Can't just sit there. <laughs> I think it's also interesting to point out that JJ is like in the corner. She's... <laughs> You know when Elle would brood on the plane and she would sit in that one seat? JJ's in the brooding seat. The brooding seat. <laughs> looking out the window. Yeah. And Garcia and Emily and Derek are making all these jokes and she doesn't even like look up, which is very un-JJ like of her. She's fully disassociating. Fully disassociating. <laughs> she is not here right She's now. She's like, I'm so pregnant and nobody here knows. And I need to pick out a crib, but also I have this terrible job. <laughs> doesn't let me do anything i just really want to pick out a crib with my boyfriend who i'm not gonna call my boyfriend like right god guys i'm having a crisis over here <laughs> <laughs> she's been proposed to but she won't give him an answer which is so 
funny and I feel so bad for Will. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Oh, so good. Okay. Okay. Serious time. We learned that all the victims are were like in their own little neighborhoods. Not little, it's New York. All the victims were in their own neighborhood. There's no common victimology. There was no theft, no robbery, no nothing. And now there have been killings every two days. So obviously people are getting really edgy. The BAU is going to join the field office in New York. There's a task force that is joint FBI and YPD. And we learn about Kate Joyner, who heads up the New York field office. And Hotch is like, JJ, can you go tell the pilots we're ready to go? And JJ's like, yep. <laughs> Just like gets up. She's like, oh, what? Yeah, okay. And Hotch is like, yeah, she's butting heads with the locals. She's British. She's a big deal at Scotland Yard, but she actually has dual citizenship so she can work for the FBI. And Derek is like, you know, I've heard she's hard to deal with. And Hotch goes, I didn't find that. We liaised while she was still at Scotland Yard. And I wrote, when? When? Hot, when did <laughs> you go to Scotland when. Yard? Hot, when <laughs> did you have time? When? Aaron Hotchner has more hours in a day than the rest of us do. I'm convinced. He's got the fucking Hermione Granger time turner. Like, he's actually solving three <laughs> times the number of cases as everybody else. He's had three times the job. Yeah. Like, people are like, oh, yeah, I met him on this yeah. day. And they're like, that's weird. That day he was with me. No, he was with me. Like, that's Aaron Hotchner. And then the, yeah. the plane starts taking <laughs> off. We get to New York. Kid is British. I don't know. Okay. I know they talked about liaising in Scotland Yard. I didn't expect her to actually be British. Okay. You need... Wait. She's spouting orders to her assistant. Yada, yada, yada. And then when they walk in, the team walks in. JJ looks at Penelope and goes, is it just me or does she look exactly like Haley? I, I mentioned this to you because I full ass thought this was just Haley's actress in a different role. <laughs> I don't think she looks that much like Haley. I straight up was like, that's Haley. But you mentioned that it's Jill Valentine from Resident Evil 2. Yeah, this is Sienna Gilroy. Yeah. Um, she was in Resident Evil. She is Jill Valentine in actually a lot of the Resident Evil movies because there's a lot of them and they're yeah. all not very good. Um, she's in... <laughs> yeah, so she's Jill Valentine. She looks great in that movie. She has black hair in that movie. Um, <laughs> I like that she's in all of these, what sounds like horror films. They like pulled in another... Horror, babe. <laughs> Be horror actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she calls him Aaron. Okay, there. <laughs> I like, had to stop and make gifts of this while I was watching the episode. She's like Aaron, and immediately Penelope and JJ exchange that look of like, "Oh, we're gonna talk about this later." Immediately. They immediately give the gossip stare, and I love that about them. Absolutely. Uh, it's so funny. And then he, you know, he introduces all of them and Kate's like, don't stand on protocol. It's great. And then she mentions how there's a ton of like CCTV cameras, but it's controversial because of American privacy laws, which is like they got away with talking shit about privacy because she's British. But also like what American privacy laws? There are none. Like that's the problem. Right. She's basically like, ugh, the Patriot Act. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, I don't know that. It's like, 
Okay. We have one privacy law and it's not even very good. Don't take this away from us, damn it. I know. Also, it's all in like, CCTV's all in like public places. Like, not like in people's houses. So, like, I don't know what privacy laws they would be. Whatever. CBS pulling this episode of like, but the American privacy laws, while they were also actively developing person of interest. Come on. Yes. Come on. Literally. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Come on. I love person of interest. But there's a lot there to talk about in terms of privacy laws. There's more there to talk about than we can ever hope to. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Okay. Garcia goes to look at the cameras, et cetera, et cetera. And Reed's like, can I get a topographical map so I can yada, yada, yada. And then the old cop goes, I see you brought your own computer, which is funny. We got to talk about these two cops. Okay. I know Cooper is the young one. I do not know the old one's name. Yes. The other one's name is Detective Brustin. Brustin and Cooper. Which is for sure a name they had to make up to get past legal. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. This older cop played by Jack McGee. Jack McGee, by the way is a guy who has played a cop in, like, every fucking show you can imagine. He's, like, got cop um, vibes, so like, but refuses to be a cop. kind of familiar. He's, like, yeah, <laughs> his whole thing is that he has played a cop in literally every show you can think of. Also, yeah. um, Eric Palladino, who plays the younger cop, mm-hmm. um, ironically, played a guy named Lieutenant Joyner on Arrow. So, like, oh, Kate Joyner's in this episode, and then on a different show, this guy plays another cop named Joyner. Anyway, that's just a fun fact for you. Okay. The two cops are basically talking about how, like, everything was in different precincts, so it wasn't until the third murder that anyone even made the connection. Um, but they're going to work with the BAU, yada, yada. Kate says, okay. Kate says, it's you know, run everything back through me, you know, only one butt on the line is enough. And Emily, like, clearly thinks it's weird that she says that. And then the older cop, like, isn't happy about it. And Derek, like, notices that. I also don't know why the old cop reacts badly to that line about, like, just one person's ass on the line is enough. Literally. Because, like, she's taking the fall for you then if you fuck up. So we learn later that the higher-ups have said that if they don't solve this case quickly and well, she will be reassigned and replaced with Derek. So for her saying, yeah. you know, let me make the big decisions because, like, that way, you know, I'm the only one that gets fired and you guys don't have to get fired. I don't know why this is such a big deal. Like, I feel like they have worked with, like, the head of a task force before. Is it that she's a woman? I do, we kind of almost we kind of talked about this before we started the episode is like they really are again painting this woman as the bad guy when number one she's just doing her job and number two she's trying to make sure none of these guys also lose their job like I would actually argue that they're painting her as completely reasonable and everybody else as overreacting that's how I interpret it. Okay. Because she says, you know, she doesn't say run everything by me, I'm in charge. She says, hey, run everything by me so that only my butt isn't on the line. That's 
a very nice thing for somebody to say, and yet we have several people roll their eyes at it. And then later she's like, but I, hey, I've given you, like, hey, I want to do this. I'm not putting you on the street because of X, Y, and Z. And Derek is the one who's like, blah, 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 being really pushy, pushy. And she's completely reasonable. Even when he comes to apologize, she's like, don't worry about it. You spoke your mind. I respect that. Like, if he had just said yeah. something once, it wouldn't have been an issue. I feel like she is kind of never really presented as this terrible person it always seems like she's just kind like maybe she's a little disrespectful to Derek maybe but she's always like doing what's best and she always has a reason for why she says what she says I don't know here's the thing though is because the reason why I I know she's the reasonable one period right end of story she is the reasonable one and it's similar to what we talk about with um Strauss what we talked about earlier is like yeah when she, when a single woman is the only one who is actually acting reasonably while everybody else is acting unreasonably, mm-hmm. then sort of by just like law of like majority, it seems like she's the unreasonable one. Right. You know what I mean? Like even though she is in the right and 1000% correct and she is the reasonable one yeah. because everybody else is acting like petulant little children then she seems like the bad guy even when she's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know how they want us to feel about that because you know Derek is, you know, historically a character that pushes back against authority especially women and doesn't like being kind of I don't know, bossed around by his bosses. But um but we're also we love Derek. So like Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it wants us to feel about the way that he is behaving. Also, do we think this is like a pattern of behavior now where he very historically reacts poorly to women in charge? Cause like once you can say oh he just gets rubbed the wrong way by strauss but like twice i think that he has a pattern of behavior of disliking it when somebody outside of like if he already respects the woman he doesn't seem to have an issue like, he backs down to JJ. Yeah, like, he works you know? really well with Emily and JJ. Right. And yeah, uh-huh. You know, and JJ's been like, shut up, we have a case. And he's like, you know what, you're right. But if it's a woman he doesn't know, or if he believes that his boss would make a different decision, he doesn't do well with it, you know? Because I think it's really interesting, the whole thing about, like, Hotch and Kate. Because, one, Hotch was married to Haley. He's been dating Haley since he was, like, 16, right? There was never any actual romance yeah. between him and Kate Joyner. Two, he never expresses any sort of romance with Kate. He spends so much time with her because she's the boss of her team and he's the boss of his. There's no mm-hmm. there's no flirting other than that she calls him Aaron. Like, and other people have done that too. So I I don't think that it's warranted that. Derek kind of throws in his face like the only one you're paying attention to is her when it's like yes because we're both leaders of our team and we're handling the politics yeah. several times they have to go speak to the mayor right 
So I don't know where Derek yeah. is getting this, like, you have a crush on her thing, you know? It's also, when they are first introducing their teams to each other, doesn't Hotch call her Kate first? Yes. And then she responds by calling him Aaron. Right. So he's the one who set that tone. Yeah. You know? Like, I just, I don't know. I feel like Derek is completely out of line and unreasonable in this episode. He is. Like. Period. Like when. And he continues to be. Next episode, he is also unreasonable. Yeah. But he's the hero, so it's fine. But at least next episode, it's like, okay, yeah, like, we won't spoil the premiere, but it's, it's a hero behavior. In this one, he just comes off as, yeah. like, petulant. You know, like, when when mm-hmm. he's like, I think I want to be out on the streets. And she's like, no, actually, I need you here to do your, you know, your profiling stuff. That's why I brought you here. Your actual like, job. Like, we have cops. Yeah. You know? And Derek is like, I want to be on the street. And Hotch is like, hey, that's not your decision to make. And he gets offended. Like, hey, Derek, that's never been your decision to make ever like sorry Derek you're not the leader on this team you know what I mean like not yet anyway right and like the fact that he sees himself as a leader and I think that does go right back to when Strauss was in charge and Derek went okay Hotch isn't here it's me now and ignored all the women and Reed on his team so I think I think there is a bit of that pattern of behavior, but I will say, unlike the Strauss situation, he kind of like storms off and then like immediately feels bad about it. But I also, I don't think that his petulance and his honestly like brattiness adds anything to this case. You know, even when later he's like, we would have been at that stop and she says, then they would have gone somewhere else. And he's like, no, absolutely not. You know, like he keeps fighting her and it's like, why are you being so unreasonable and bratty? Yeah, like it doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. I don't want to say it's a pattern of behavior because I love Derek Morgan, you know, with every five of my being. But like that's kind of twice now that like a blonde white woman has been in a point of, power for him and he has refused to listen to them and actively worked against them yeah that's the thing too is he like at some point during this he does actively work against both of them you know what i mean like if he was just like a little bit shitty about getting a new boss for a while okay fine whatever little weird that it was both to both times it was like to a woman in power but like whatever but the fact that he actively tries to, like, undermine their decisions and, like, actively fucks with it, it's like, come on, my guy. Come on. And I think it's interesting that the time we've seen him do this to a man, when Rossi first joined, Rossi was in the wrong. Derek had a reason not to trust Rossi. He had a reason not to think he was right. Because Rossi wasn't communicating and wasn't trusting yeah. his team. In the case with Strauss, like, yeah, she kind of sucks, but, like, she also wasn't, you know, wrong. But, like, he just refuses to see these women as in charge and has decided that actually he is right and he is, he should be in charge and not them, you know? And then in this case, when Hotch doesn't back him up, 
he sees that as a betrayal. When, like... Yeah, it just... Yeah. It all feels so petty. It feels like it's out of nowhere, especially because every other... Unless there is, like, a woman in charge of Derek, he drinks Respect Women Juice. The the second he doesn't get his way, he's like, actually, fuck you. It's just so weird. Yeah, and then it doesn't get any better when Hotch is like, by the way, you would be the one replacing her. Then he's like, see, really? You shouldn't be in charge. I should be in charge. And it's like, that's not what that means. (laughs) That's not what that means. That's super not what that means, my guy. Like, Hotch has been in this... Also... Hotch has been in this exact same position that Kate is in. With, like, if you fuck up one more time, you're out. All lies on you. But when Hotch does it, Derek's completely on his side. When Kate does it, Derek is like, actually, fuck you. Go ahead, sorry. It's just... Like, also, kind of a fucking absolutely buckwild career move, too. He's not even in charge of the BAU team, and they're like, let's put him in charge of an entire field office. What? Oh, my God. I know. Like, what? Like, what? He's also like, I, this is what I don't get too. It's like the BAU is a super specialized academic group. Maybe they're like. Extremely specialized, extremely niche. Yeah. And like, yeah, he was a cop for a couple years and he went undercover. But he's not like working with cops all the time. He doesn't, he's never run a department. Like, to put him in charge of an FBI field office when he has, like, no paperwork experience and... Leadership experience. Yeah, and so I guess, I guess minor spoilers, whatever, but, you know, when, at the end of the, se- at the end of the main show, season 15, we learn that JJ's going to New Orleans to, I think, run the New Orleans field office. I think. But, like, at that point... One, she had a ton of like experience working with local cops on the ground. She knows the politics. She knows the paperwork. And then she, she was in the field for a very long time. Derek, at this point in the show, has been with the BAU for like four years, five years. And all he's been is <laughs> Maybe, like, yeah. yeah. And he's been like a junior person. And now he's the oldest person on the team. But he's still like not the leader and he butts heads with Hotch, sure, but he does, like, defer to him. Hotch doesn't, like, give Derek his own cases to do and his own team. Like, I don't know what he would bring to this field office position, especially in the politics yeah. side of it, when we know that he hates working with anybody who might tell him what to do. I don't... I don't. It's also... I also, like... Later on in the show, like, we do see, like, throughout the show, we see a really good sort of leadership growth from Morgan. Like, he does eventually take on more of a leadership role and does, like, more paperwork, which would better prepare him to run Mm -hmm. a field office or to be sort of in upper management somewhere. Right now? Yeah. Right now? Right now? This man does not own a single suit that fits him correctly. (laughs) And you want to make him... Yeah, you want to come on? And I, He's so serious. I also think I guess this is a spoiler for next episode, but like not really. Hotch and Derek talk about like whether or not he would have taken the position if it had been offered to him, and I think Derek says like, 
I just don't think I'm ready for it. You know, so I think this is kind of like him realizing he still has, like realizing he's cocky, realizing he's arrogant and that like he he can work on his team, but that doesn't mean he knows how to work on every team, on, on a team that isn't specialized, you know? So I enjoy that, yeah. but I hate when that growth has to come at the cost of like, a woman like she is so busy this, this woman whole just episode. gets character assassinated this episode and truly for what and for what like for what and like she and hosh are so busy this whole episode we never see them like hanging out they are always working even when hosh is like when's the last time you slept and she's like we'll sleep when the case is solved which the entire bau has said at one point or another so i don't know like what he thinks is happening I just, it, I, it, it I, I hate it. And I hate that they keep throwing this at Derek because it makes me be like, at what, at what point do I have to stop saying this is out of character for Derek to argue back, to break the rules, to not listen to his bosses? And at one point, is that just Derek's character? You know? Yeah. Also, like, to be fair, now that I'm thinking about it also, like, Derek does have some problems. Like, he like, remember that whole episode with Emily where they had, like, seven bodies and he was still like, Emily, I don't think there's a case here. Yeah, that's like, just that episode, yeah. Be so serious, my guy. Yeah, I think... I think, like, the good traits of Derek as a team member, not just, like, the laying the life down, but, like, in terms of, like, listening and corroborating, is if a woman on the team brings him evidence or brings him a theory or something... He listens and he'll talk them through it and he'll say like, okay, let's go tell Hodge, you know. But if it's like to convince him there even is a case or if he's like unwilling to listen, there's no coming back from it. Like I feel like he's doing yeah. the thing of like he respects women to a point. They're his equals unless he wants to be higher than them and then he feels higher than them. Yeah, it's just so... Yeah. Mm. It's just, I hate that they but keep giving this to But I also do like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, they keep giving this to Derek, and at some point it's like, come on, give it up. But also I do like that he is generally, like, genuinely a very three-dimensional character where he has these things about him mm -hmm. that we don't like, but also he's still, like, our friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I it's, think... It's, I think it's, uh, it's the mark of, like, some good character writing is that he can be both. And it's a mark of good acting on Shamar's part that... Derek can be shitty like this and I still, you know, care about him. One scene with Rossi and I'm back on his side again, you know? I will say, though, that I think another thing that Derek's character suffers from is that it feels like he's the only one getting this kind of nuance. You know, like, JJ's flaws of, like, not communicating are with, like, her boyfriend. When she's, like, on a case, she is wholeheartedly into it gives everything she can, never doubts for a second, everyone deserves to be helped. Emily, we don't know what Emily's big flaws are yet, right? So we haven't yet. really seen her, like, when she struggles, it's like, am I a bad guy? It's not like, shut up and do what I tell you to. Hotch's flaws are pushing himself too far. They're personal with his family. They're, you know, not... They're not, like, resting. Like, if he rested, he'd be better at his work, but he doesn't, so he suffers kind of thing. And therefore, the team suffers. 
Penelope is just quirky. And then Rossi's flaws, he kind of worked through them and now he's, now he's fine. So I think... He's fine now. Yeah, I think Derek kind of suffers from being the only one whose big character flaws come through this much and this often. You know, like if... if well, and there's Reed stuff, but Reed stuff is like drugs, which isn't, you know, inherently a character flaw of a person, right? Yeah. And his his bigger flaws haven't happened yet. But I think that, like, Derek is constantly being the one going through these big things, you know? Like, this could be an episode maybe where, like, JJ is really distracted by the Will stuff, and so she keeps pushing back at Kate, and it becomes like a woman-on-woman competition thing. And that would have been an interesting direction to take it, of, like, how our personal life you know, pushes us. Or it could have been Hotch and Kate being like, we kind of flirted, but I was married at the time. And now, like, maybe I want something more, but like, obviously Hotch is in no position to be in a relationship. So like, maybe that was the tension. He won't listen to her because he's, you know, secretly and subconsciously mad at her for being unavailable. You know, like, there are so many other ways to get this conflict. And I feel bad that they keep giving it to Derek. It's also, I think, a little interesting that Derek's flaws are the ones that are really, like, his sort of character flaws are the ones that are impacting the work more than they are his personal life. Because mm-hmm. we know, like, nothing about his personal life. True. Whereas with, like, Hotch and JJ, right, like, their flaws don't affect their work as much, but they do affect their personal life more. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's interesting that we sort of see Derek's flaws are affecting his work more than they are his personal life because they just don't tell us anything about his personal life. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it's interesting to sort of see yeah. that. But it is also unfortunate that the only one whose flaws affect their work outwardly, like right now, is mm-hmm. like the one black man on the team. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I don't think it's fair that Rossi got kind of like absolution and figured his shit out in like the course of three or four episodes and Derek like I I if this is a pattern of behavior for him that he needs to get over then this needs to happen on a case that is not you know a season finale that is not this big so that he can be called out and that behavior correction is the point of the episode you know what I mean yeah. Like, he needs Hodge to be like, you have to stop doing this. You're going to jeopardize our case, yada, yada. But the case is like, two people found dead, you know, like, in a lake. Which is very sad. But it's not, you know, a bomb in New York City and the president. I just, I wish... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish they had given him, they had done... I wish they had done Derek the service of addressing this as a flaw. Instead of it just having to keep coming up at the worst moments. Yeah. Also, like, what was the point of this drama? Like, what did this add to the episode? Like, nothing. Nothing. It doesn't even solve anything. I just don't. I don't like it. <laughs> we talked for like th- 30 minutes. I don't like it. I just don't like it, actually. Yeah. Okay. Kate says, run everything back to her. I don't know why Emily thinks that's weird either. Emily's like, weird, the point woman on the team wants to know what's happening and make the decisions. Wild. Weird. I don't know why she makes that face. Anyway, I think they cut that from somewhere else. 
and just put it in that moment because as soon as um hate uh not Haley as soon as Kate goes up to Hodge and it's like can we speak privately Emily goes to JJ and says they um liaised when she was at Scotland Yard and JJ's like oh of course <laughs> But that's like the only issue Emily ever has. JJ, who has done plenty of liaising herself. Wink, wink. JJ, remember in season one when that guy is like, JJ, give me some details. And it's like so clearly like an ex-boyfriend. She's liaised in her time. (laughs) She's liaised a time or two. I also, I just don't like the like, the implied like they liaised. Ooh, sexy. Because like he was married at the time, right? So yeah. <laughs> that doesn't ever get uh, brought up at all. That it it would have been cheating if he did anything. Okay, he would have fully been having an affair. Oh yeah, yeah. it would have been a whole ass affair. So okay, Kate is talking to Hodge, and Hodge is like, "Wow, everyone's got a bad attitude." And Kate's like, "Yeah, you know, I think that it's because I'm abroad with a posh British accent, so they don't respect me, which is completely fair." And then she goes. What? Very self-aware of Absolutely. her. Absolutely. Can I be so real? So self-aware. I like that. Okay, I will say I really like this comment and the way that it was done where you're like, yeah, that's true. But it wasn't like a feminist gotcha. It wasn't like a you don't respect me because I'm a woman. Yada, yada. She was just straight up like, yeah, I'm a British woman in a position of power. They don't like that. Like, <laughs> you don't respect me. It's not you don't respect me because I'm a woman. It's you don't respect me because I'm British. And those are two very different things. <laughs> Absolutely. One of those is valid. And it's <laughs> definitely not the woman hating one. Yeah. And then she's like, what can you tell me about Derek Morgan? And how she's like, what? It like zooms in on Derek. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> and then I laughed out loud. Reed walks right up to Cooper and goes, so what's your partner's problem? <laughs> I was like, win. Literally. I was like, win for autism. Reed. Win for autism. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most autistic thing Reed does in this entire show. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got to play nice. They're not super happy. Yeah, so what's um, his fucking problem? Like... What's his fucking deal? Like, come on. Emily literally, like, turns around with the wince. <laughs> She's like, okay, well. Yeah. She's like, okay, well, now I gotta run interference. Yeah. Hey, what's up? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm running this conversation. Emily heard that from across the room and just started fucking booking it. <laughs> She's like, god damn it, Reed. Not without me. I need the gossip. <laughs> She's like, hey, listen, if he gets offended, I'll go cover disappearance. If he doesn't get offended, I want another tea. <laughs> and to valid. his credit detective cooper does not get offended he's no. like yeah this is his fucking problem like yeah. i love it so much okay cooper says you know it's really great to have the fbi you know the fbi tax force help it's been great but now she's like taking meetings with the mayor and she didn't ask us before she brought the bau in which like do you think she should have asked the locals before she brought in the bau Do you think she needed to? I don't think she needed to. I think it might have been polite, but I don't think she needed to, especially because she is also FBI. Exactly. And I also think that, like, for all they talk about how, like, we've got 
we gotta solve this case quickly. Every time she tries to make a decision, they spend so long arguing with her. <laughs> yeah! And then they turn around and they're like, we've got six bodies. And she's like, yeah, so go do your fucking jobs. <laughs> I know! It's so... <laughs> <laughs> maybe i just like sympathize with her despite the show's efforts because i'm like i feel you bitch like that sucks <laughs> like carl i am also trying to get shit done quickly and efficiently <laughs> yeah. i feel you yeah so then like emily does her like damage control things and is like they're just a resource you know you can just use us as you would any other resource and the guy's like okay profile me okay we need to talk about the weird flirting thing i I like that it turned out he was married and it was all a cover. I like that. That's great. I guess this is more like a mayhem thing that I'm about to say. I just... Why? To make them friends? I guess? I just... I also think it's a little weird that we're doing the profile me thing again. When, like, we just did this last episode. Oh, yeah. In Tabula Rasa. Hodge just did this. Maybe it's like, different this time because it's like Emily's a woman and Hodge is a guy. And then also Emily is just kind of like, we're a resource. Oh, I need to show you how, you know? I don't know. I also, I do think it's it's kind of, I do, I don't know. I, I do like it because it does make them become besties. Yeah. And I do genuinely like that she gets him she's like you have two different colored pens on your hand yeah. which is like a very sherlock holmes thing right. ass thing to notice you know what i mean yeah. so like i do like it but also it comes right after tabula rasa <laughs> it is and i also just think that it i think mm-hmm. i think here's what i here's what i genuinely think i think there were probably some more episodes in between these two but they got cut because of the writer's strike and so they were just like shit we have to do this and then we have to do our season finale between tabula rasa and lo-fi you mean yes exactly so i think there were some more episodes here so like the hey profile me thing probably was like a fun little callback but they unfortunately these two episodes just ended up directly next to each other but i think they're also used differently too like this one is like a bonding moment and it's really sweet and the other one is like a Haha, got you. I'm smarter than you. Smackdown. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree. That's like an interesting um, fact that it happened twice in a row like that. I I like their flirting. This is more of a mayhem thing, so I won't say too much. But it keeps going after this. And like the way it leaves off is kind of like, why are you still so like, is it just like fun now? I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not. I think they're just friends who kind of flirt sometimes. I guess. It just felt weird. It was like they were trying to have a romantic moment. And then they were like, wait, Emily's a lesbian. It's fine. It's, it's <laughs> fine. He's married. Like, okay. I guess. Okay. I don't know. Okay. So he's like, what am I thinking right now? And then she laughs and she's like, it's never going to happen. And he says, five people are dead. You need to do better. And she's like, fair. True say Cut to a guy in black in an apartment. He's like putting the hoodie on. He's getting his gun. It is tiny. 22s, I guess, are like tiny little guns. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just want to bring this up now. As the team realizes more and more people are involved, every time they cut back to this apartment, 
the number of people in it grow. So I really like that. I love it. So this time there's once, and then there's like, oh, the different heights. Okay, there's two of them. Now there are two people in the apartment. And then it's like, wait, you think there's like six killers? Now there's six people. And then it's like, I think this is terrorism. And now it's a bunch of people in front of a television or like a computer screen or something. I love that. I really, really love that. Okay. We see the guy getting ready, whatever. Okay. (laughs) Garcia goes into the like CCTV room, which feels too small. But maybe that's just me. And she goes into the room and Bartleby is the woman, the other woman. And the other woman is basically like, I'm in love with you. (laughs) Immediately. (laughs) Immediately. Lisa Bartleby is like, oh, you're the love of my life. Absolutely. Which makes me laugh that later Garcia's like, want to see a, you know, a hot man. And Lisa's like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, Gus. Lisa, fully a lesbian. I was like, Garcia, sure, I guess. Garcia, read the room. Read the room. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Garcia's like, oh, you made your own system in Linux. Like, that's awesome. And, and Bartleby's like, yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Love it. Everything is stored and digitized. Garcia's going to send Hotch all of the video because they're going to do facial recognitions on the crowds right after the shooting because a lot of people. Hey, wait, can I up. say one thing? This computer system pisses me off because she says six gigs of RAM. Mm-hmm. RAM does not come in like six gigs. It's four, eight, 16, 32, 64, so on and so forth. Six? Maybe it was four and she four. added an extra two. Can you do that? But like, <laughs> not really. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, like, a, like a stick of RAM... I don't know. It's like if you're going to be adding like RAM comes in sets of two. Right. So if you have like uh, if you have four gigs of RAM, right, you would have two sticks of two. Right. Right. And then if you wanted to add more, it's most effective for computer systems if you double it and like add it all the same type. So like I have 16 gigs of RAM on my computer. It would not be effective for me to just um, add another stick. Right. To make it fucking like, what, 22 22 or 24. It would be most effective for me to add two more to get to 32. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't work like that. It's, you know? Sure. Sorry. I just, it pissed me off. Because, like, everything else sounds reasonably correct. But even I was like, hey, now hang on. (laughs) Like. Maybe she has to, like, budget for it. So she could only like afford one <laughs> stick at a time in but that like, particular then, budget, you it know. It needs to be it needs to be like cross it needs to be like crossfired. It just doesn't work okay. like that. And it really does it really like threw me out okay. for a second. Very fun. Love it. Maybe you guys see a like misread a sixteen, this is six. Also, if you're running a system that has multiple video streams coming in and like a lot of shit to do be. you're gonna want way more than six gigs yeah. of ram even in 2008 <laughs> like Maybe especially in 2008 especially in 2008 that's why i said i was like, like fucking adobe premiere does not run on eight gigs of ram effectively today yeah, i was like <laughs> like that is a small room and there's not even like maybe there was a server but if there's like a whole ass server in there 
It would have more than six gigs of RAM. Also, it'd be fucking hot as hell. Well, also that. So, I, yeah, I have no idea. Or it's a freezing cold room because <laughs> they have to keep it that way. I don't know. I have no idea. But even then, there is usually a separate building that is like a server room. So there wouldn't be like just an extra server yeah. in there. My mother does computer stuff for the county that she lives in. And she has a whole lot. She lives in like, not lives, oh my God. She works in the building attached to like the 911 call center. And they have a whole ass server room, you know, raised from the floor, like the whole thing. And it is freezing in there. Yeah. It wouldn't be like one server in the CCTV office. <laughs> exactly also she's the only one doing this at the fbi field office that feels odd whatever doesn't matter nothing about the show matters okay garcia says she's gonna send the videos and they're gonna do facial recognition on the crowds after the shootings because a lot of times people come back to survey the cleanup maybe we catch the same person a bunch of times great we are down in the 14th street subway a guy is getting on the subway but he's in one of the hoodies and we like know about the hoodies now you know um, oh no, some guy, mm-hmm. they're like following a guy getting on, he's not in a hoodie, so it's like whatever. But then we see the hoodie guy in the, the train. And no one's paying him any attention, and I was like, because it's New York. Like, I don't care that it's the middle of summer and somebody walked on in like, oh, black and a hoodie. I'd be like, hell yeah, goth. Like, do it. Like, no one cares. I was gonna say, hell yeah, goth kid. Like, <laughs> like nobody cares. Like, it's not weird that no one's paying him attention. It's, it's New York. And then there's another American flag on the subway. Great. Kate and Hodge looking at the cameras, doing the, like, recognition, whatever. Kate is like, yeah, I'm not sleeping right now. And then we see Garcia and Bartleby hanging out. Reed is doing his map. Next to him, Emily's talking to Cooper. Great. Cut to Derek and Rossi and JJ are at the subway stop where the guy just got killed. They talk about how the unsub is patient. He waits for the guy to get separated from the pack. And then they're like, is this the spot that he fell? And the cop's like, yeah. And like goes to look at the like track of the subway. And Rossi's like, are we boring you? And I didn't interpret him like that at all. Maybe that's the optimism. It just sounded like he was like upset that this happened. I don't know. But also, like, I do like that it's the other old guy calling his shit. It's not not Derek, you know. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So Rossi's like, are we... Refreshing. Refreshing. Rossi's like, are we boring you? And the guy's like, have any of you been cops? And Derek is like, yeah, me in Chicago. And this cop... What the fuck was his name? Bert... 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 What? Bruston. Bruston. Bruston was a beat cop doing the Son of Sam. And he says that, like, you know, it's difficult when a crime can't be predicted and when it's seemingly random. You can't, like, protect people from random, right? And he's saying that, like, I need, to, I need people to be taking this personally. Everybody in this city should be taking this personally. Cool. Garcia and Bartleby are hanging out again. And Garcia's like, how long have you been doing this? And Bartleby says, like, six months or something. And Garcia's like, you know, I don't know if it gets any easier. And Bartleby says, you know, I watch people getting mugged and like robbed and stuff like that like watching someone get killed is harder so Garcia just starts like pulling out all of these like trinkets colorful trinkets and is like I make it myself travel bag of tchotchkes yeah they're so cute relatable content right there and (laughs) Bartleby's like 
this isn't really regulation. And Garcia's like, thank God it's only us in here. And they like giggle together. And then Garcia's like, do you want to see a super fox? Okay, I laughed out loud. They pulled up the camera and I know she's talking about Morgan, but it is Rossi that is like center, <laughs> center. facing us. Yeah. So she's like, want to see a super fox? And it's just like Rossi. <laughs> I love that she theoretically though I love that universe where she looks at Lisa Bartleby and goes you're into men old enough to be your father right let me show you this guy she, like- looks, at, she looks at this woman and says you like men how about old men I got a man, I got a man for you I got an Italian stallion just for you <laughs> huh there he is okay Derek, Reed, and JJ are talking about how the guy knows when he's being filmed. And they talk about the sketches and they're like, oh, they're all over the place. Like Asian, black, Hispanic, you know, Arab, like everything are different. You know, nobody can say what they saw for real. And it turns out that they were all right. There's like seven different guys. So like, yeah, all the sketches were correct. They just didn't match. But the 22s, the guns, have have all been the same. You know, that's one thing that has never changed. And so this guy clearly, like, he studies cameras, he uses a gun that's easy to hide, and he knows what he's doing. Cut to a guy in a hoodie walking backward out of the subway to avoid the camera. And then he, like, walks up the stairs out of the subway. So then Reed is at the um, station at the task force office, And he's like, we need to get records of everywhere but where the shootings have happened. Because people don't kill where they live. You know, the guy does surveillance. He learns the area. So he's an organized killer. He would know not to kill near him. And so every other neighborhood Mm -hmm. has a right reason to be terrified. Okay. Dramatic. Dramatic. Then we see a woman walking along the street of New York. She gets bumped into, and then the camera, instead of following her, like, follows the guy who bumped into her, and he, like, gets a hot dog, and then he just is, like, shot and killed in the middle of the street. And, okay, here's the thing. I get that they, like, disappear out of there, but you're wearing all black in a New York summer, holding your arms straight out, shooting somebody next to a hot dog cart, and they, <laughs> nobody sees this Excuse guy? Excuse me, it was a pretzel cart? Come on. Oh, I'm so sorry. Next to a street <laughs> vendor. And nobody notices the way that he, like, locked elbow raises his arm at the back of this guy's head. Like, what? And then he leaves a calling card. I mean, but, like, okay. also, like, even if, right, all of this happens so quickly, though, is the thing. Like, he's not, like... You know, like the whole thing happens in under like 30 seconds. I guess. So, so. like, how fast does a human brain process, like, hey, guy in all black, hey, gun, sure, hey, sure. that man's on the ground dead now? Like, like the human brain d- doesn't function that quickly. All this happens in like 30 seconds. That's fair. I will say, though, that they use the fact that the first guy walked away slowly and that this guy ran away as like a big deal. But, like, if this guy had just, like, walked away, again, standing out from everybody else, did shoot right next to a bunch of people. If he had just been like, bye, that wouldn't have worked out so well for him, I think. Just just had to say that. That's a little yeah. quite of mine. 
He leaves the tarot card at staff. Great. Two cops show up. Derek is... Oh. But what's this guy's name? Bruston? 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 I cannot keep that in my head. Bruston and Cooper show up. Derek is there. There's no witnesses. Kate's like, hey, Bruston, you were here during the Son of Sam. Well, how did that go? And Bruston says, you know, if this is truly random, there's no way to... Badly. St- yeah, bad, bad, poorly. <laughs> and he's like, if it's truly random, there's going to be no way to stop him. And Derek's like, they're only going to have a view of the back of his head. And Kate's like, let's not be too quick to say what we do and don't have. And then she leaves. Which is reasonable, right? Because they literally use this camera shot to tell the difference in heights. So, like, that's still a big thing to get. We don't only have a view of the back. Right? She leaves and Derek is like, why is she giving me attitude? And I was like, I didn't get, read that as attitude. You were being really pessimistic. And she was like, we could find something. <laughs> is that? Did you read it as her being yeah. attitude-y? No. I read that as her being like, all right, well, why don't we try it anyway to see what happens? Right. Why don't we just. And then say it wasn't useful. Like. Yeah. She's like, let's not be so quick to say that I we're I did losing. not read it as, yeah. yeah, I did not read it as her being yeah. so rude or anything. I read it as Derek being a little rude, but like. Yeah. Yeah. Derek was yeah. like, why am I getting attitude? It's like, it wasn't attitude. She was just saying not to be such a Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And then Hotch is like, look, the FBI brass told her that if she fails this case, she'll be reassigned and you're going to take her place. Which is like, whoa, weird. Okay, we get the calling card again. We're looking at it. Why at the sixth murder? And Cooper is like, it's kind of on the nose, don't you think? And Preston says, do we actually think he believes in this spiritual nonsense? And Hodge is like, look, the card doesn't actually mean physical death. It means transformation from one place to another, like a job promotion or marriage. And I was like, hell yeah, Hodge, tarot king. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably so into astrology. He and Rossi both. So into astrology. Okay, but I... I mean, again, <laughs> profiling is just astrology for cops. Can you imagine, though, Hotch and Garcia? Garcia's like, Hotch, you look really tense. Let me read your tarot cards. He, like, learned tarot from Garcia. Oh, for sure. And I love that. For sure. Yeah. So then they're saying the unsub probably sees She gave himself. him a custom tarot deck that's just like a regular tarot deck, but like all of the characters have suits on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that just popped into my head and it would not leave until I said it. I had to like exercise that. That's fucking funny. Hold on a second. That's <laughs> going in the Discord. <laughs> Everything is normal except for the fool has like a three-piece suit on. I'm gonna say, but like three cards are wearing suits. No, I'm gonna say, but um, what are they called? The face cards. The face cards I think so. are wearing suits. Okay. Are you? Are you actively participating in conversations on Discord while we're recording? Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Actually. I thought you had walked away during that time. That's fine. Okay. They say that the unsub probably sees himself in the role of death in this case, and he's studying other cases because there's another case that used this card. 
you know, he sees himself as a transitioner and he's thriving on this panic. Cool. The team regroups at the field office to watch the newest shooting footage. And they talk about how the killers have two different demeanors. One walks off calmly and one runs. And it's weird to suddenly do that after six kills to just like change it by you leave. So, okay, Gussie does analysis to show that the killers are different height. And she's like, one of them is 6'1", the other is 5'9", 5'10", tops. But the picture on the screen shows that the guy's 5'10 and a half. I love so this. Because it pissed me off so much because it's so clearly on the screen. She's like 5'9", 5'10", tops, and it's like 5'10 and a half. And I'm like, that's not, that's not right. Girl, he's like 5'11 at the most. Come on, girl. This is where we learn that, like, Garcia is actually dyslexic. Oh, no. And she just never mentions it. See, it wasn't six gigs of RAM. It was 16. She's just dyslexic. (laughs) And she just skipped over that number. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. There's more than one unsub. Bum, bum, bum. Cool. This time at the apartment, we see two people. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. The team's talking, and they're like, maybe it's a gang. And then Emily is like, no, because like gang initiation is when someone encroaches on their territory. They don't go out to people. So JJ is going to go coordinate with the gang task force. Reed and Rossi are going to talk to the FBI agents at the field office station. Derek and Emily are going to brief the police as each shift comes in. Derek wants to get out in the streets. And Kate's like, no, I brought you guys in here to create the profile. I'd like you to do that. And Derek is like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to go in the streets. And Kate's like, six more people in the streets aren't going to help anybody. What's going to help people is you doing your academic shit. And Derek is like, all of the killings have happened midday, blah, 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 blah. It's Friday. Let's go to the express stops. And then he starts listing like 59, this and that. And Hodge is like, Derek, this isn't your call to make. And Derek is like shocked that Hodge didn't stand up for him. Also, like, I feel the need to point out, Derek... This is New York. Literally. New York is so fucking big. It is so big. I mean, think about it this way. Emily and Cooper were on the streets two blocks from this murder. And they didn't even see it. Garcia had to give them a crossroads. Like. There's nearly nine million people in the city of New York. Are you telling me that you think... The six of you at six random subway stops are going to be, like, the thing. There's also not only, like... And they're also in teams of two. So it's not even, like... They're not covering that much area. So they would be covering three other subway stops? Yeah. Come on. Also, not to mention they would have to spread out across all the boroughs that hadn't been hit yet, which, like, I think they had hit four boroughs, so that leaves, like, three or four main ones. Like, come on. So it looks like the A-line has 34 stations and it looks like there's like in new york subway there's like 28 express stops like what are you really doing by putting you out there all you're doing is stopping yourself from doing your job like Derek, I just want to be like, Derek, if you want to be a cop, go be a fucking cop. You guys have a very specialized niche that only you, like, six people can do. Do it. Yeah. (laughs) Go do it. Literally. Go do your job, homie. And he's, like, offended that Hotch is like, go do your job. Like, okay. 
And then Kate's like, I'm gonna go join Reed and Rossi. And just like leaves Hodge and Derek staring at each other. She's like, actually, this is none of my business. <laughs> She's like, the old man and the nerd haven't been mean to me yet, so I'm gonna go hang out with right. them. She's like, I saw the women gossiping about me, but like those two have they seem cool. I'm gonna get rid of the guy that's awkwardly flirting and the mean one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Reed, Hotch, Emily, and JJ go to the hotel. Did it looks like a nice hotel, right? There's like a it really marble does. carter top. I'm like, is this where my tax dollars are going? <laughs> for, for you to stay in fancy New York hotels? Go stay at like a budget inn. What are you doing? Anyway. Literally. Not to be mean, but like. <laughs> but like actually. So Emily sees like there's like, you know, newspapers laid out like there are. And she sees that the news of the newest killing that happened that day is already in the late edition paper. And then Reed is like, hey, isn't that your boyfriend? Will is at the hotel. He flew to D.C. No one was there. Because J.J. was like, just don't come. I'm busy. And then didn't text him again. So he flew to D.C., took a train ride to New York. And he's like, hey, I'm sorry for interrupting, but like, I can't stand not being here with you. And J.J.'s like shaking her head like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. And then Hodge is like, is something <laughs> happening? And she's just like, I'm pregnant. <laughs> she says full-bellied. Clearly like seven months Shocking. pregnant. Six months pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And JJ's, uh, Emily is like, oh my god, JJ. And like gives her a big hug. And it's like, this is great. Reed looks so awkward. Reed is like, wait, are you telling me JJ has had sex? <laughs> like, that's the look on Reed's face. He's like, oh no, you've had sex before. <laughs> Love it. Hug Sam, it's great. And then Will says, I've asked JJ to marry me. And she's like, shut up. And he's like, we're still working out some kinks. <laughs> Man, once again, slapped by girlfriend. I, I proposed to JJ, shut the fuck up, Will. We're working on it. <laughs> says i've proposed is so funny this is a man who has fully accepted that he is like a purse dog at best oh, like the look on his face when he's like i just couldn't stand you being here and me being so far away when it's so dangerous right now and then when she's like annoyed and it's like i'm pregnant he's just standing there behind her like he 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 i made her tell them <laughs> <laughs> he is so funny. Yeah, and then he's like, I've asked JJ to marry me. <laughs> and she just like glares at him. And he's just like, yeah, it's, we're working on it. So it goes. Hilarious. And then Hotch is like, we're going to give you some privacy. And he starts to walk away. And JJ chases after him. She's like, Hotch, wait. And he's like, you could have told me, JJ. <laughs> I literally was like, yeah, JJ, why didn't you tell him? He's so sad now. He does sound like just so he sounds number one very happy for her, but also like so exasperated. Like, do you know the paperwork I have to do because you didn't tell me this, JJ? He's like, one, why didn't you tell me we're besties? And two, I have JJ, <laughs> you of all people know the paperwork involved. Please, JJ, the paperwork involved. You're in the fields, JJ, and you're pregnant. Not only do I have to file the pregnancy paperwork and the engaged paperwork, but now I have to file the like she went into the field of her own choice paperwork. <laughs> yeah. But also, I don't even have to file the engaged paperwork because you're not even engaged. But you might be. I managed to just, just fill it out. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I might as well just fill it out and wait for her to sign it, and then we'll <laughs> we know she'll eventually deal admit with it later. It. Like, God, you'll wear her down it's eventually. It's just so funny. Yeah. So then she's like, "I want to stay in the case," and he goes, "Okay, seven a.m." And she like looks like, "Oh God!" And I just was thinking, like, she's pregnant, <laughs> getting like maybe four hours of sleep at night, like that. It's super not good for yeah, her. Yeah, she's having actually like, probably like an awful time. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. So she goes back to Will and she's like, are you crazy? And he's like, I want you to go back to... He will not look her in the eyes. He is like face at the floor, puppy dog. Will you go back to DC with me? You know, your team knows now. They'd understand. Your job's too dangerous. And she, I love this. She's like, so is yours. We're both going to be parents. Like, yes, I'm pregnant, but you will also be these this child's parent. And I like that. Very progressive. Yeah. And she's like, are you going to quit your job? And he's like, well, uh, well. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of it, he does. Right. <laughs> so. And he, but he does, Love that he does bring up, he's like, when cops find out they're pregnant, you know, when a cop finds out she's pregnant, she automatically, like, leaves the field. That's just standard protocol. Like, it's not because it's you, like, all cops, like, no one goes into the field pregnant. That's dangerous. Like, you know. But she's like, look, we only have... Duh. Like, yeah, duh. She's like, look, we only have until seven. Can't we just argue about names and kids? And he says, only if you let me win. And she goes, not a chance. And then hugs him. And I was like, this is cute. This is progress. He looks... Can I just say, he looks like such a baby in this episode. His baby face is so severe this episode, and I don't know why. Don't know. He looks younger than he did in Heat. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I like, don't know why. Like... <laughs> I will say, okay, let's talk about the will of it all. When I first watched this episode, I hated that he just showed up like this. I was very firmly anti-will all around. Yeah. But I do want to say that JJ... (laughs) (laughs) She's not... He's not in the right either. (laughs) JJ's not quite a communicator. Like... She's, She's certainly not. Like, first off... She won't make their relationship real, which, okay, then break up with him. But she won't break up with him either. So then she's like, fine, we can be real in public. Great. He does not show up again until this episode. So she's like, great, we're official. And then she thinks she's pregnant. You have to think you're pregnant for like a minute to get a test, right? She doesn't tell him she's getting tested, but she tells him when she's pregnant. He presumably, I would assume, on that phone call proposes. Because that seems like the kind of guy Will is. Oh no, I made you pregnant. Let's get married. Yeah. For sure. That yeah. definitely seems like a Will move. Yeah. So then, she, but she won't. She's like, no. <laughs> Let me think about it, right? Months pass. She will tell nobody. Won't give him a straight answer. None of this. So then, when finally she has agreed to let... Him come visit her. Remember, all of this time, like a year and a half, she has visited him. He has not stepped foot into her apartment in D.C. Okay. And they're coming so they can, he's coming so that they can buy a crib. Yeah. Like, God. So. He's coming to go to Ikea with her. Like, that is their relationship. What? So, but, and then she cancels on him. And he said, no, 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 no. I am being allowed into your actual apartment. Let, let, let's, let's do this thing, right? He gets there. She's not there. And he goes, 
fine. I can't get into her apartment to see where the fucking maybe my fiance lives. I will go to her and keep an eye on her and see how she's doing. He takes the train, which isn't that long, but it's, you know, a commitment of a travel time. Gets to her. She has told no one she's pregnant. <laughs> she has told no one she's maybe engaged. She's at least nice to him this time. At least she's not like... Which is a big improvement. At least she's not, once again, Detective LaMontagne, what brings you to New York? <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, she's not murdering him in front right. of all of her friends this right. time. So it's a big improvement. Huge improvement. So... She sees them. She's like, great. And then she tells them without like a real fight. She's like, okay, I would have had to tell them eventually. I'm pregnant. You know, so a huge step for her. And luckily he's just like, I, it seems like he knew she hadn't told them yet. You know, because he's like, with everything going on, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, yeah. And then he like lets her drop the conversation because like, at the end of the day, right, they're not even living in the same state. Like, forget that they both have jobs. Like, they live a very long ways apart. They live in different time zones. They live in different time zones. That is a good point. And she's pregnant with this child, won't propose to him. But he's, you know, quote unquote, doing the right thing, however you may feel about that. Which I think she doesn't want to want it, but she does. Because she says, like, I like the romance, you know. But the first time I watched this, I was like, how dare you show up where she works? How dare you try and force her into telling people? Yada. And this time I'm kind of like, this is a man that deeply understands the woman he's in love with. <laughs> he actually like, he finally gets it. <laughs> yeah. He's like. We as the audience don't even entirely get it yet, but like he gets it. But like he gets it. And I love that for him. He sees the hot mess of Jennifer Giroux and is like, actually, I'm into it. He's like the definition of a happy-to-be-there husband. He's a, right? he's a purse dog husband. He's just happy to be there. He's just like, I will take whatever attention she gives me. I just really think she's neat. You know, <laughs> it'll be great. Love it. Okay, back to the office. This isn't a random killing. There's a pattern. Oh. Back to everyone giving the profile. This isn't random killing. There is a pattern. We haven't found it yet, but there's definitely one. And then they talk about the DC shooter and how, like, he only wanted to kill his wife, but he knew that if he just shot her, he'd be the prime suspect. So he went on, like, a huge killing spree to cover his tracks mm -hmm. for this one murder. So, like, it's entirely possible that this group has one target but has to make it look like they're doing a bunch of shit to hide their real target, which turns out to be truth, right? And we kind of learned that this guy put the playing card and is like killing more people because the BAU has shown up. And I honestly think that we were right with what we said earlier, that they did what the first, they did the first part of their thing in the subways to lure the BAU there because as soon as the BAU shows up, the killings go street level. Yeah. So I do think that's the thing, you know, the BAU, like, sure, they're quote unquote making it worse by being there, but I think that was always the unsub group's like intent. So 
they're saying that, you know, these killers are playing games, but there's clearly a, st- a smart leader. You know, this guy has studied the placement of surveillance. He's studied other serial killers. You know, there's, there is somebody smart in charge. And there's always, like, a dominant or submissive person. Oh, they still think it's one person. There's always a dominant and submissive person. And they still person. think it's, like, a few teams. Yeah, they still think it's a really small team. Yeah. And one of them probably has, like, a, at least one of them probably has a steady job. So they're going to canvas the precincts and find businesses that open and close around where the billings happened to see, like, if any of them remember, like, a father-son pair or, like, co-workers. And then the other theory is gang initiation, which they don't think is true, but they're still sending all of the undercover cops in the area into the field. And Kate is going to give a number of cops, like, specific assignments to do also. And so they tell all the cops and all the FBI people, whatever, go talk to your street contacts, ask and see if anyone knows what's going on. So then we cut to, like, cops on the street, whatever. Garcia and Bartleby are, like, eating snacks watching these They're so funny. Videos. I love it. And this is what Bartleby says, you know, surveillance isn't meant to prevent crime. It's meant to catch the people afterwards. And then Bartleby is like, hey, there's something at 59 and left. Lex. And I said... That's a street Morgan named. When he was listing streets, he named 59th. Why does Morgan know so much about the streets of New York? He had to listen to Reed's fucking ramblings all the goddamn time, so now he just sort of like unintentionally knows it. You know what? Fair enough. And Derek does point that out. (laughs) Derek is like, I said someone should have been there, which is like unhelpful, Derek. Not in the middle of this. Please say that later. Anyway, the guy shoots somebody. No police is showing up. He's heading west on 59th. If he gets to the park, they've lost him. No more visual. No police on the scene. He's gone. And Derek says, like, we could have had that guy if we had been there. And Kate is like, he would have just gone to a different platform. I also want to say that, like, Derek is saying this after they've just dispatched, like, a hundred plus more cops into the street. Like, they say, you know, all the undercover people, they just said that there's, like, 85 more, 85 undercover officers. So, like, literally, what are the six of you supposed to do? Literally. There are hundreds of cops on the street. Congratulations, you named, one of the places you named ended up being it. Like, shut up, Derek. And Kate's like, you know, we could have just gone to a different platform. It wouldn't have happened. And I said, I think Derek is being unreasonable. Hotch isn't sticking to him, you know, sticking by Derek. Hotch is like, shut up. And Derek's like, listen to me. And Hotch is like, Derek, this is not your place to have this discussion. And Derek says, my place? Which, talking about a black man's place in a discussion, I feel like is loaded. But talking about like Mm -hmm. another agent, like a subordinate agent and his place, like, that's reasonable. So, yeah, I'm just going to put that out. I have no thoughts on that. I'm not a person to have thoughts on that. Okay. And then Derek is like, where I'm from my place, all I can, I can see is that your focus is on her. And I was like, because they're the two leaders of this. They're the bosses. So, like, yeah. they're, talk, they're talking about, like, the case. Also, we have seen them having one-on-one convos, and it's only been about the case. So, like, I don't know what Derek's fucking talking about. Cut to Derek's at the bar. Rossi shows up and Derek's like, I know I was out of line, like whatever. And Rossi's like, yeah, like you are too out of line sometimes. And Derek's talking about how like it feels like Hotch is on her side. And Rossi's like, there aren't sides to this. You know, 
Oh, I just had a thought. You know how they like make a point to say that Derek was a cop before he was an FBI agent? Yeah. I wonder if part of the reason mm-hmm. he's pushing against her is because he is like, you know, thinking about sides and he's putting himself on like the side of the cops. Like, I want to be out there with the cops. I want to be in the streets. And so he sees her as an obstruction the same way that like Bernstein does. Doesn't make it any better, but I think... Okay. No, I can see that. I also do think it's it's sort of a way of saying that he is like, he's not ready for the office politics that dealing with her would entail. You know what I mean? Or like that doing her job would entail. Like he's still thinking, yeah, he's still thinking in sides. That's not how this works. You know what I mean? Right. I, I think that he does still have a bit of that like cop mentality of like, this is my precinct, my streets, my people. And you're keeping me from helping my people, you know, and that's not how you can think of, it's not how a leader thinks, especially if you're like, you know, FBI, it's like your people is the country, not like Manhattan. You sort of took an oath to protect, you know, everybody, not like one certain neighborhood in New York. I think I'll t- not to be rude to one certain neighborhood <laughs> in New York. I'm sure you're all wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but I do think I do think that this is isn't meant to be like a character slight. Like his whole attitude isn't meant to be a character slight on Derek and more about how he's not ready to lead. I just think that they've done this enough when it was a character slight that in this moment it doesn't feel good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So then, Rossi is like. I know you're in line to get the job, whatever, but like I've never seen you push a superior like that before, which I think just speaks to Rossi's newness because we've seen that with like Hotch with other people, yeah. you know, whatever. And Derek is like, I don't know if I would take her job, but like it would be nice to finally be the one making the calls, you know, which I feel like he does. We saw this with Hotch too and getting over them. He does kind of like he wants to be able to say what he's going to do. And then go do it. And that's something, you know, bosses do. Mm-hmm. But then, like Grassi points out, he would have to deal with all the politics. Like, yeah, Kate and Hotch are spending a lot of time talking to the mayor. Like, do you think that's what Hotch wants to be doing right now? Uh, and I think that's really interesting. I don't think Derek wants that. So then Derek talks about how, like, the BAU wears people out. It has been a while since we've had this conversation. I like that we're bringing it back. Yeah, like I feel like season one, it was like every episode was about how the BAU like fucks you up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we lost that for a little They're bit. They're like, we've gone too long in peace. Yeah. And then Derek is talking about like, I feel like I, he kind of, I mean, he doesn't say it, but he feels like he basically says, I feel like I'm being worn out. And he says, you know, Hotch hasn't smiled in more than a year, which isn't true maybe you haven't seen it but like it's not true and then he brings up like how many failed marriages have you had and then like jj all this weirdness with will and rossi's like look if i start to think you're losing it i will pull you out of the field and i'll say something but like right now i know you want to get back on the job because you ordered a beer but you haven't even touched it i also do like it's a nice touch that the sort of oh what the fuck is the i don't drink beer what's the fucking little foam cap thing on cap. a glass of beer like that has totally gone down mm-hmm. so you can tell that he's been sitting here for a while mm-hmm. I, I i like that because that's very much like oh 
you've uh yeah you've been here a while yeah i like that too and then rossi leaves after saying that and Derek like he like pulls the beer towards him and then he moves it aside and then he leaves um he didn't pay for that drink unless he bought one drink and closed his tab right away but like okay he must have like paid for it when he got it right he must have just been like don't open a tab just give me this one here's my card just close it i just want one yeah um great they're watching uh great kate and hot are watching footage cctv footage and derek and rossi walks in and i love this moment derek is like hey listen and kate says don't apologize i respect that you spoke your mind and they just jump into the case and we say like there's at least a third killer and then kate's like tomorrow i'm sending you into the street and derek like nods and they say you know this case does remind us of, like, Son of Sam, but David Berkowitz used to return to the scene days later to masturbate. So maybe this guy, like, we've been looking right away to see if he, like, watches cleanup. Maybe we should go in, in a few days later to see if he's um, coming back. Whatever. Yeah. And Derek does this, like, good little, like, nod. And I will say, I like that Kate gets where he's coming from like Derek's coming I don't think she like a, she a woman should have to do, be the bigger person <laughs> when he's being a dick and a half yeah but it is a very nice I mean I think it's a sign of a good leader right he came back and was yes he came back and essentially his apology was gonna be like sorry I you know bristled at you telling me what to do like I I am just really upset and I shouldn't have done that whatever and she's like I don't need to hear an apology like what, go do your job that'll be an apology enough for me and I appreciate that she's like a great leader she's like I get it don't do it again but I get it yeah you know? and now and she even gets the little bit she doesn't say it but she was like you were right essentially you know she says we're going in the streets tomorrow like great I will send you out tomorrow like I guess that's what it's time to do and I really appreciate that yeah exactly and I like that he doesn't like make a big deal about it yeah. where he's like alright should have done that today but we're glad we're doing it now he's just like okay like, that's it. I think it kind of shows that he, like, when he actually took the time to, like, look at her as a leader and not, like, an obstacle, he, like, sees what she's doing and, like, respects that she isn't making him grovel, right? That she isn't making him apologize. Yeah. She's like, I get it. You want to do your job. So let's go do our jobs. And he's just kind of like, thank you. Like, that's, thank you. You know, I think she's a great leader. Yeah. I think she just happens to be a woman. That a pretty woman. She's doing her best. She's just unfortunately British. This happens to be British. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately. So everyone's like on the street and Garcia goes, okay, Mouseketeer roll call. She's so, so funny. funny. So Prentice and Cooper on 59th Street, JJ and Derek on Hailed Square. Yada, yada, yada. It fades out as she lists more people. Reed and Rossi are at the station. Bernstein. They ask it, why are you so mad at the son of Sam? That was, you know, 40 fucking years ago. Why are you so- 30 years ago why are you so mad about it and he says like it felt like he was laughing at the police and like they didn't actually catch him killing they caught him through a parking ticket that's how they realized that he was there at the time of all the stuff whatever and you know the laughing at the police comment kind of gets their attention and they're like why hasn't he contacted us again or contacted the media like he's doing our unsub is doing these really bold killings but there's no media attention and then the death card so, like, why open the communication through the card and then stop it again? And, like, the Son of Sam letters, when he wrote, would, it, you know, create fear. And then this other killer was, like, ask for a bank card. These guys were just like, hey, I want you to know that we're 
aware that you're here, which is weird. And so Rossi says, yeah, Rossi says, you know, I think they're ramping up to something and they want us to know that we are being watched. Which I think the ramping up to something is a good call. Because like I said, the BAU shows up and they take killing to street level. That's like a, an escalation, right? Yeah. And like mm-hmm. they become more public, but the BAU is also public. And so they're saying that like, you know, if we thought all of these were separate killings or whatever, what would we make of the profile? And then Rossi's like, who's in the streets? And Reed calls Garcia and it's like, I need your eyes. So Emily and the cop, they like get off of the subway. They're like kind of, the cops is something flirty. And Emily's like, are we still doing this like tired sexual tension angle? I just love that Emily is like so confident in her lesbianhood this whole episode. She's like, never going to happen. She's just a lesbian, your yeah, honor. She's like, it's never going to happen. And then he's flirting and she's like, are we still doing this? Like, you know I'm gay, right? Like, this isn't going to happen ever. Love it. She says profiling is just noticing behavior, which is like, great. She profiles him. And she's like, look, you don't like disrespecting authority, but you're so loyal to your partner, so you're not going to say anything. You're probably an officer in the military because you like, I forget the exact phrase she says, but like, you don't say shit to people in public. You say them in private. And then he's right-handed, but his left hand has different colored pen marks, so he definitely has a kid just something to draw. He doesn't have a ring, and he's very flirty, but he's happily married, and he would never, ever cheat. And he's just kind of like, wow, maybe we will solve this case. Right. And then Bartleby is looking at the footage in the days after the shootings, and she has, like, the widest possible angle. And she says that she noticed the filming, the video just stops. Someone is hacked in, and it says, unauthorized access detected. And Garcia's like, well, shit. Cut to the streets, the guy getting off the bus. Okay, this is the extra I sent you screenshots of. The guy, like, gets off the bus in a hoodie. This extra is like, oh my god, it's him. (laughs) Like, in the distance. This woman walks around him. Her mouth is, like, fully open, like... Girl. I, ju- I just was like, she what was is getting happening? paid. She said, I'm getting fucking paid. <laughs> she's like, my rent is due. Oh my God, it's him. It's, like, she's so funny. It's him. She's so funny. She's kind of the funniest person. And I love it. This woman is my bestie now. <laughs> now, actually, we're best friends. Yeah, she's making her fucking stipend, whatever. Everyone's staring at this guy because he's again in a hoodie in the middle of the summer. Emily and Cooper get out of the subway station. They're like looking around. And then the guy goes up to a woman and just like shoots her at an ATM. And Emily and Cooper hear it. And they're like, Garcia, where is it? They get to the location and the guy's like coming towards them. And when he sees them, turns around and they're chase. I love how Emily runs. Her little like arms are at like right angles. And she's just like, She has such a funny run. It's so like stiff and I love it. The unsub stops in the alley and he shoots Cooper. And I wrote, we just learned he has a family. (laughs) I know, it's so fucked up. (laughs) Why'd they do that? So we'd feel this way. Emily shoots the guy, takes his gun, and then runs back to Cooper and is like, Garcia, cop down, Garcia. I'm going to send you a picture. Because Emily's hair uh-huh. looks so goddamn good in this scene. And for what? It just, I literally was just like, he looks so good. 
<laughs> wow, it really does. It really has that like <laughs> wave yeah, to it, her huh? Bangs look really nice. It's just like, okay, you look great, actually. Also, why is her necklace like some crest? Anyway, okay. <laughs> the next scene, Cooper is in an ambulance. Nope, Cooper is in an ambulance. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Sorry, just the way you said that really caught me off guard. <laughs> ambulance. <laughs> ambulance. <laughs> Cooper is in an ambulance. Emily doesn't think he's going to make it. He's lost a lot of... Oh, she doesn't know if he's going to make it. He's lost a lot of blood. The unsub had no ID and he's definitely going to die. And then Emily says, I shouldn't have had to shoot him. And Derek is like, oh, come on. Like, you know, Baba, it's justified. Whatever. And he, she goes, no, 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 no. He would have gotten away. Like, we wouldn't have caught up to him. But he stopped and waited for us. And they're like, okay, what's the behavior? And she says, his hands were steady. His eyes were calm. This whole group, it's like hypervigilant. It's organized. They have so much surveillance. Why would they shoot somebody two blocks from where we were? Or did they choose to kill that person because they were there in the street? I mean, it's, you know, he has no ID. He waited for them. He was so calm. It's like suicide by cop. Like, why would they do this? JJ's like, do you think they wanted us to think it was all finished? And they're like, we have to look at the profile. So Kate and Hotch arrive. And they go to Reed and Rossi, and Rossi is like, we might have a serious problem. And he says, counter-surveillance, hierarchy, a group of people. What does this sound like? Well, my friends, sounds like terrorism. And we've reached the part of the episode where we just suddenly take a firm right turn. <laughs> firm right turn into terrorism. Great. Okay, here's the part that I don't agree with, but like, sure, whatever, I'm not a cop. The murders simulate a bombing and they're going to watch the responders and then they bring in a second bomb. It's a practice run. And this is, we're going to unpin from 316 Elephant's Memory where they talk about how the first wave, the first bomb takes out civilians and the second wave Mm -hmm. takes out responders. And that's going to be a big thing in Mayhem. And then they talk about how like, it's lo-fi, the best way to plan a terrorist attack. I thank God we finally got another episode title within the episode. I was really losing hope for this for the end of the season, but they did manage to finish strong. <laughs> Is this what lo-fi means? I know that lo-fi means low fidelity, just like hi-fi means high fidelity. But like, does lo-fi mean low tech? It means it's a form of media characterized by an unfinished or unpolished sound. But like, yeah, this isn't what lo-fi means. What she means is like manual, right? Like the she wants the word that's like, yeah, it, she means like no technology. Yeah. She means like they're they're planning it very like it's analog, right? It's the opposite of digital. Yes, that's the way. That's what I was trying. The only word I could think of there was luddite, which is a person who hates yeah. technology. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's the right word. And then you were like, analog. It's like, oh, that's the like, one I was thinking. She of. should have called it analog. And it's and don't get me wrong, lo-fi is a great word. This is not what lo-fi means. Lo-fi means low fidelity, and that just means like kind of low quality kind of thing also like 
they couldn't have predicted this in 2008, but now every time you Google lo-fi, it's all the fucking lo-fi girl like hip-hop beats to study to. Yeah. Okay. According... Lo-fi girl is a menace upon our era. According to InVision, a lo-fi, a low-fidelity prototype is a simple and low-tech concept. All you need to get started is a pen and paper. The girl goal is to turn your ideas into testable artifacts that you can then use to collect and analyze feedback in the early stages. So fine. I just... All I can think of is lo-fi beats to study to. Yeah, exactly. Lo-fi is commonly known for its musical meaning, meaning like unpolished or rough. If you Google lo-fi, it is all lo-fi beats. It is all lo-fi beats to study to. Yeah. So, fine. They did use it correctly in 2008, but it doesn't mean that anymore. <laughs> okay. Great. The reason they're increasing panic is because panic ensures the most urgent response time. There are, in fact, seven different shooters, and the reason they keep doing this is because it shows that the people in the terrorist group are willing to kill and die. So it is kind of like a gang initiation. And then they say that, like, all of these killings have been targeting, like, entrance and exit points. They're kind of testing how to shut down the city. What would it look like to shut down the city and trap everyone on the island of Manhattan? The fact that they're talking about this, like, to shut down the island of Manhattan and trap everyone, and then it's because they want to, like, blow up one guy in a hospital, is like, okay. Also, aren't you there, know, like, a bajillion bridges off of Manhattan? I wonder if this is one of those things like um uh king fisher or sorry like fisher king where they wrote the second half like months later and they started off with something very cool and they were like ah fuck it (laughs) (laughs) he's killing the the president i don't know like i don't know i don't know it's just weird right it's weird um okay so then Garcia calls and is like, hey, we have a problem. All of the cameras have been hacked into. They have, like, all the footage of the killings. You know, the reason we couldn't find it is because, like, they all had to be checked individually. Like, they didn't hack into the system. That would have given us notification. They hacked one camera at each scene. And so they're definitely, like, checking the response time, right? So Emily is going to the hospital to see Cooper and Bernstein. Rossi's going to go talk to the demis- commissioner. Derek is going to talk to Homeland Security. Reed and JJ are going to talk to Port Authority. Hotch and Kate are going to talk to the mayor. The terrorists don't know they're watching. But as Reed and JJ go to leave, JJ gets a folder from a courier. And it's a note from Will. He's going back to New Orleans. He doesn't want to be in the way. He gives her his police badge. He has quit his job. How's husband material? I think, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, Will gets her like nobody else gets her. Will is like... Yeah. He's also doing exactly what I would do, which is anything to keep her in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Simp behavior. Yeah. But well earned. She's hot, so, like, I get it. (laughs) She's hot. She's a little mean. She makes that money. Like... Exactly. Yeah, okay. so good and Hotch comes over and JJ's like do you need everyone in the field and Hotch is like no it's fine Reed can go by himself and then she goes to leave and he's like congratulations and basically like yeah she's engaged 
Hodge is fundamentally like such a cool dude. It just sucks that he has so much trauma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it sucks that he sucks sometimes because he's such a cool oh, guy. Yeah. I wrote, she's engaged and she will be for four more years. <laughs> Can't wait for her to be engaged forever. forever. You know that movie, The Five Year Engagement? That was about JJ and Will. <laughs> You know what it makes me think of? I was listening to a fucking podcast the other day and <laughs> I was listening to a gay comedy podcast and they were like, do you know what queer people love? Engagements. <laughs> they will keep that shit up for years. Oh my God. They will not get married, but they will get engaged. And I was just thinking about that as I was <laughs> thinking about JJ's four year engagement. I'm like, man, they really are like a buy for buy power couple. Oh, huh? 100. I love that. You want to talk about to- Dom sub pairings? Okay. Nope. You ruined it, actually. Oh, uh, I think. That's my bad. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> so, Reed is now going to go to Port Authority alone. JJ is going to go back to the hotel and then she'll come back to the office. Okay. Emily arrives at the hospital. She meets Bernstein. Cooper's still in surgery. Doesn't look super great. Cool. Hotch and Kate leave the field office. Emily gets into her black SUV. Garcia gets into her black SUV. JJ kisses Will a lot and then gets into her black SUV. Rossi into an SUV. Reed into an SUV. Derek into an SUV. There's like a little montage. And then a bomb explodes a black SUV. And the alarm what and the sound. What a wild way to end this episode. I know. And then the alarm and the fire like play over the credits. Oh, I love a good, like, alarm continues to go during the credits. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's my shit right there, actually. I also just wanted to say that it is very funny that um, (laughs) Penelope is the only one of the BAU who has her own driver in the SUV. (laughs) Everybody else is getting into, like, the (laughs) the front seat, like, the driver's seat. But Penelope is a passenger princess. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. It's just, it's so fun. What a great way to end this episode. Truly, what a great way to end this episode. What a great way to end a season. Like, and then they don't come back until like September. Can you imagine watching this live on TV? No. They don't come back till September? Oh my God. It would be over for me, I I fear. Four or five months, you just have to like be like, who died? And then literally and then the wave- they don't come back until like the very end of September. Like it's almost October when they come back on air. Like, mm-hmm. oh, man, yeah. brutal. And then the way they start mayhem is also very, very good. It is very good. I'm very it's- excited. OK. That's lo-fi. We talked about this a lot. So what's your rating? <laughs> My rating? I mean, like, it's a good episode is the thing. It is the thing. You know, and I think it really does work as a really good season finale for like a season you had to cut a little bit short. Yeah. I think this is a really good season finale. And can I say, unlike other season finales, yes, this is like just a setup episode, but it still feels really meaty and it doesn't feel like pointless, you know? Yeah, it still feels like its own episode. Yeah. 
And I think because like... It feels like it has its own identity. Yeah, and like it is a setup episode, but the fact that it ends with a bomb and you know the next episode's going to be like the fallout from that, this doesn't feel like pointless, like Fisher King part one, you know? Yeah, it feels it feels very important. I, I dig yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good point because it is really... Like, I mean, easily the best season finale we've had thus far, obviously. Because it's fighting up against the Fisher King part one and Dance Dance Evolution. (laughs) Like, okay, yeah, duh. Duh, best, yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go, I don't know. I think I'm going to go with a nine. I don't think it's a ten. I think I'm going to go with a nine as well. I can't give it a ten because of all the Derek stuff. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just got that little something that just like kind of annoys me. I will when you say, think about it too hard, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, but like still really really solid. I will say that if I didn't know what the terrorist group was ramping up to, I'd be fucking hooked. Mm-hmm. Like I, I yeah. Sorry, I just took a drink. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm keeping it a nine because of the Derek stuff. I just, I would just want people to know, like I'm not taking away for the fact that it is a little disappointing in part two because you wouldn't know that yet. You would just be like, what the fuck is happening? Terrorism in New York. One of the BAUs might be dead. Like, no, you'd be super hooked. I'm hooked and I know what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. I also think it's so good that they are teasing another member of the BAU dying because they had Penelope earlier this season, you know? Like, I think they've like teased the fact that like these people could die. You know? Yeah. And I think like the stakes are there of like, you know, Derek has just learned this lesson. Rossi's pretty new to the team. Reed is really young and full of potential. Garcia just survived an assassination attempt. Um, JJ's pregnant. And yeah, like the stakes are so yeah. high. So I really love that. The bomb. It's just, it's really, really good. And I think it's so good that they're putting the BAU in mortal danger, I think, is the thing. I I, I really do do think that that... I do love that they're all in danger. But I also love that it feels, like, weighted, like, you know, like, it feels correct that they are... Mm Mm-hmm in danger you know what i mean because like what they do regularly isn't super dangerous like let's be so real they're chasing after serial killers and they often have more power and resources than the serial killers do so they're not usually in like a ton of danger and i think penelope kind of started to pull back that curtain and i think this episode fully just like rips down the drapings like it is like hey they can fucking die and i really dig that yeah, and I think it I think because it really feels like we're on the same page as the BAU on this one is like they wouldn't be expecting an attack on them and we weren't either. You know, whereas like usually yeah. in an episode if someone's coming for the BAU, we'd know it by now and they would be aware of like being in danger, but like this was so out of left field. Mhm. Mhm. That it's 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 terrifying. And I think that it's interesting that, you know, I think because of the Derek fighting and because JJ's 
pregnant and because they're kind of like have just figured out that it's terrorism, etc. It feels like the team is a little disjointed. They're not all on the same page. I mean, they're literally all going in different directions, right? It feels like, you know, oh no, they've split up. The team's kind of fallen apart and one of them has gotten hurt. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready for the next episode. But before the next episode... Before the next episode, we have the bonus episode. Our bonus episode, where we rank every single episode. We do our favorites. We do sort of our season wrap-up thoughts. That will be coming at you all next week. Mm -hmm. Until then, you can follow us any way you get your podcasts. Uh, You can also follow us on social medias at WheelsUpPod. I think that's it. Uh, No God and the Devil. They didn't say Wheels Up. They, said they did say what's up. The devil isn't real in this one. They did say the episode title. So like we kind of, you know, we, we got through all that. Um, Hey, James. Yes, B. Do you have an ending quote for me, bestie? As Emily says, they um liaised while she was at Scotland Yard. I picked that one because of, you know, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. (laughs) Emily and JJ have done some liaising too in their time. (laughs) I do believe that is true.